hello and welcome to our third podcast and our end time series. This is uh, Keith Sieber. I'm pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And our message, our lesson for this podcast on the end times is titled The Plot Line of Prophecy. And it will be a two part message, two part lesson on the end times. We're going to read a few scriptures and then we will get going on this podcast. But uh, before we get into those scriptures, I just want to talk about our our weekend at our church for a moment. We had a great Sunday. Uh, we had uh, a good attendance Sunday morning. It was a special day, the New Year's Day, our, our first Sunday of the New Year, and it landed on New Year's Day. So it was great. We were in Hebrews chapter 8. It's a great message. I love the people that were, how they were attentive, how they, all those that were just into the message, even though I was stumbling over my words a bit throughout the service, but it was a great message. Excited about that. Excited about what the Lord has in store for our church for the new year. And then Sunday evening, we are again in our end time series. So it's been a it's a great Sunday. It's been a great uh, holiday time with the family, with the church. And I'm just looking forward to what the Lord has in store for our new year. I know next week. Uh, next Sunday at our church, uh, we are revealing our theme for the year. So looking forward to revealing that theme uh, for 2023 to our church next Sunday. So getting back to our our message on the end times for this podcast, a plot line of prophecy, part one. We're going to start off in Second Peter. We're going to read be in Second Peter chapter one. I'm going to read verses 19 to 21. And God's word says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And I also want to read a few verses from Revelation chapter 22, uh, verses 18 to 21. The last uh, 18 to 21, the last four verses of the Bible, actually. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 to 21. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So the plot line of Bible prophecy. Uh, in our previous message we mentioned, or in our previous podcast, we mentioned how no pastor, no teacher, no believer will ever understand all of the Bible or understand all of Bible prophecy, and how all the details of Bible prophecy all work out together. There will be some disagreement among sincere and ardent students of the Bible about some things, especially, it seems, about Bible prophecy. This is why we need to keep in mind as we progress through our study of the end times, the golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, 
but take every word at its primary, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. You are going to get used to hearing me say that golden rule of Bible prophecy, that that rule, we're going to be saying that in pretty much every podcast as we uh, continue our study through the end times. We'd be amiss if we did not recognize the importance of Bible prophecy and how it points all those who study it to Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All Bible prophecy, if you follow it down to its eventual conclusion, either points directly to Christ or points out one of the attributes of God's nature. I have divided our study of the end times, this journey we're taking through the end times, I've divided our study of the end times into six main sections. Uh, I needed to map out our study so we will know where we are going. Uh, you need a map uh, so you can know where you're going. And we have a map for our study of the end times. We have a map for our journey uh, through these apocalyptic scriptures. Uh, so we will be studying the end times systematically. Uh, it will not be in a haphazard fashion. And so we can better understand the big picture of this most important subject matter in God's holy word. Now, our plan and how we are to proceed through our study of the end times is the following. Here are the six sections I've divided our study into. Uh, number one, introductory material. Uh, the first two podcasts and part of this week, uh, this podcast, is that introductory material. So that's the first section. Section number two is the plot line of Bible prophecy. We're going to get into the beginning of that in this podcast. And the plot line on Bible prophecy is just an overview and a map of the big picture of our study. And we'll be here for a few uh, podcasts in this one. Be here for a few lessons, a few messages in the plot line of Bible prophecy. And then our next section, section number three, is the setting. Places of the end times, signs of the end times. We'll be here for a few weeks as well. And then our next section is the cast of characters. Uh, getting to know the main individual actors of the end times. We're going to look at some individual characters and do some character sketches and character studies of the main actors of the end times. And then our next section, I'm calling it the scaffolding or the structure of the end times. It's mainly the timeline and, and the nation actors of the end times, mainly a study in the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll have some cross-referencing in in Leviticus as we study that, but that, that's the scaffolding structure is mainly a study in the book of Daniel. And then our final section, section number six, is the main narrative, and that'll be mainly a study in the book of Revelation, but of course with lots of cross-referencing uh, throughout the Bible and the Old Testament as we go through that. So our six sections on how we're going to proceed through the study of the end times is section number one, introductory material, we've completed that. Section number two, the plot line of Bible prophecy, section number three, the setting, section number four, the cast of characters, section number five, the scaffolding and structure, and section number six, the main narrative. Now, in our study of Bible prophecy, we will turn our attention to the plot line of Bible prophecy. That's where we're at right now. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines a plot line as a connected series of occurrences that form the plot or part of the plot in a story or drama. So in the next few uh, messages, we're going to be going over the plot line, if you will, of Bible prophecy. 
We will not be looking at any of the events mentioned in our plot line of prophecy in great detail. We will just be sort of mapping our way through Bible prophecy, getting our bearings, figuring out where we're at, uh, so we know how to proceed along in our study. So the plot line of prophecy. The plot line of prophecy starts with our current church age. Then the rising, then, then the rising action uh, begins with three sets of judgments. We have the seal judgments, we have the trumpet judgments, and we have the vile judgments. Then all these crescendo into the climax of the plot line of prophecy with the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of the Lord as he once again returns to the earth and steps foot on the Mount of Olives. What a day that will be. Then we see the earth going into a 1,000-year period of peace and rule by Jesus Christ, by King Jesus in the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Then just when you thought it was all over, Satan is again loosed for a little season and faces his final defeat. This will then usher in the new heaven and the new earth, where we'll be happily ever after with our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Now we're going to look at some promises and warnings about the Bible and prophecy. 2 Peter 1, 19-21 We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We also have a more sure confirmed we have a confirmed word of prophecy. Previously, we knew its sureness by faith, but through the visible and historically verifiable accounts of prophecy fulfilled, we are made doubly sure. Prophecy assures us that Christ's sufferings, now past, are to be followed by Christ's glory, still future. The transfiguration gives us a pledge to make our faith still stronger, that the day of his glory will one day dawn no matter how long that may take. Apostle Peter does not mean to say that the, the more sure word of prophecy or the word of prophecy or scripture is surer than the voice of God heard at the transfiguration, but only that the fulfillment of prophecy so far in Christ's history makes us the sure of what is yet to be fulfilled, his consummated glory. Now, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That no prophecy is of any private interpretation. That's 2 Peter 1.20. That is, they are not an interpretation of the knowledge and feelings of the prophet. They're not an interpretation of the knowledge and feelings of the prophet, but rather a proclamation of the will of God. 2 Peter 1.21 shows the meaning, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We need to be cautious, for the lively imaginations of men often lead them to suppose events to be accomplishments of scriptural prophecies, uh, which in fact have no direct relation to them, and thus may become guilty of misapplying them. They see things, they think, oh, that's got to be prophecy, it's got to be the interpret. that's got to be the fulfillment of this prophecy, that has to be this. 
but it's not. Uh, Their imaginations are leading them astray. So instead of allowing a lively imagination to discover some agreement between our own private thoughts or our private summations or our private desires and prophecies of future events, we need to just allow the scripture to say what it says. Just allow the scripture to say, uh, the, the scriptures to say what they say and not read into them what is not there. Not read in our desires, not read in our private thoughts, not, not read in our lively imagination. Just let the scriptures say what they say, while also not ignoring what is there. We should remember and be assured that every prophecy has its precise and determinate meaning, which no human ingenuity can alter, though men may try hard to alter it to fit their own thinking or their own theological point of view. We ought to therefore exercise our judgment with proper help and in dependence on divine teaching to discover as far as we can the real meaning of the predictions and the accomplishment of them concerning Christ and his church. Thomas Scott was an English clergyman who succeeded John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, at his church when Newton moved to London. He also wrote a prolific commentary on the Bible. And he gave the following warning and admonition about the study of Bible prophecy. It is lengthy, but it is good, so I'm going to quote this entire uh, warning he gave. He said, The misapplication of prophecy, as if it were of private interpretation, and as if every man were at liberty to put his own fanciful meaning upon it, only serves to furnish objections, gives a whole an air of uncertainty, and so perplexes the subject. For the prophecy came not in ancient times, at the instance and according to the inclinations of men, nor can it be properly thus interpreted. But the events to which it related were fixed in the eternal counsels of God to be accomplished in their appointed season. Holy men of God, who served him and were specially favored by him, spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they were so far more modeling their predictions according to their own inclinations that they frequently could not even discover the meaning of their own words. End quote. We must be careful. We must be cautious. We must be thoughtful as we approach this study in the end times. We can't allow our fanciful desires, our, our private interpretations, our imaginations to carry us into a direction that is wrong, that is not, not loyal, not adhering to what the scripture says. We must be careful, we must be cautious, and we must be thoughtful as we approach this study of the end times. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If any man shall add, verse 18, if anyone shall add any other meaning to these prophecies or add any other application of them that God intends, that person shall have the plagues threatened in this book added to them. We need to be very, very careful in our study of prophecy. And verse 19 says, if any man shall take away, 
If anyone shall lessen the meaning, curtail the sense, explain away the spirit of these prophecies, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Thus, Jesus Christ warns all those who study and teach this book to beware of indulging their own opinions concerning it. And there is a lot of that going on. So we must proceed very carefully. We must proceed cautiously and thoughtfully in our study on the end times. So I want to talk about the Bible and Bible study for a moment. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the revelation of God. It reveals the fall of man. It reveals God's way of salvation and God's foreordained plan and purpose through the ages. There are some basic facts in the Bible we need to know as we begin our study of Bible prophecy. In the Bible, we find four predominant persons. Number one, God the Father. Number two, God the Son. Number three, God the Holy Spirit. And number four, Satan. In the Bible, we see three specific places, heaven, earth, and hell in its final state, the lake of fire. In the Bible, we see three distinct groups of people. We see the Jews, we see the Gentiles, and we see the church. 1 Corinthians 10.32, give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. 1 Corinthians 10.32. There are three things we must be very careful to avoid in our study of the Word of God and the end times. We must do our very best to not misinterpret the Scriptures. We have to be very careful about how we interpret Scriptures. If we're not sure, we need to say we're not sure. If we're not certain, we need to say, I think this is what it means. So we need to be very careful and do our best to not misinterpret the Scriptures. Number two, we must do our very best to not misapply the Scriptures. And number three, we must guard against pulling verses out of context. We must remain loyal to the context of the passage. We need to let the Word of God say what it says. We must not try to read too much into a passage. We must also balance that, however, by working our hardest to not miss something that is in a passage for our edification either. This may mean we progress at a slower pace in our Bible study than we would like, but that is okay. Let's make sure we're getting it as right as we possibly can. And that's our main approach in our study, our study at our church, as I'm taking our church through the study of the end times. We're going slow. We don't want to miss something important. We're taking our time. We're progressing at a slower pace, but we want to make sure we aren't missing anything in a passage. We want to make sure we're reading the passage right, we're interpreting the passage right, we're preaching the passage right, we're applying the passage right. We don't want to gloss over some important things that God has in there for us, so we're just taking our time. We're going slow. Like I said, we've been studying it for about six months now, and we're about a week away, week or two weeks away from finally getting into the book of Revelation. And we've been leading up to that for six months. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study God's word, not just glance at it, not just read it a little bit, not just go through it quickly so we can get to the end to where we want to be. We need to study a slow, methodical studying of the word of God to show ourselves approved unto him. A workman, it's work to study God's Word. It's not something that 
Uh, we should uh, should we should spend just a few minutes in each week or a few minutes in each day. It's work. It's hard work. We need to put in the work. And it says rightly dividing the word of truth, or or rightly interpreting the word of truth, or or making sure we're cutting it straight. We're staying true to it. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. The only possible way for a man to understand the word of God is to allow the Holy Spirit to be the teacher of the word of God. Therefore, the unbeliever will never be able to get a true understanding or grasp of the revelation of God. Of course, the Holy Spirit will illuminate them to know enough to accept Christ as their Savior, but an unbeliever can never comprehend the Bible like a believer can and like a believer should. 1 Corinthians 2.10 But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And part of those deep things of God is prophecy. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10 We need a Holy Spirit residing in us to, to, to get that full, deep understanding of God's Word and prophecy. Now, believers possess, like I, like I mentioned, believers possess the teacher of the Word of God inside them. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. 1 John 2, 20 and verse 27. Since the Holy Spirit abides in the heart of the believer, he reveals spiritual truths to us as God would have them taught, and not as man might have them to be interpreted. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen. Bible revelation ceased with the book of Revelation. Bible revelation ceased with the book of Revelation. There has been no new revelation from God since he spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos. There are men today who claim to have received some new revelations from God. There have been new books written claiming to be new revelations from God. But God has not revealed any new revelation. There has been no revelation from God since he spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos. These people that say they've received some new revelation from God, that have written new books, and since cults have been formed and these religious cults have grown large, these people that started these, these people that claim these things, they are false teachers, such as the Apostle Paul, Paul warned against in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15 For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their own works. So Bible revelation ceased with the book of Revelation. Now we do have spiritual illumination. As Christians, we have spiritual illumination. Uh, and we will have more of this as we see the day approaching. What made no sense to men a hundred years ago as they studied the prophetic scriptures will start to make more sense to us today since we have a hundred years more of human history to help us see these prophecies 
in light of our current age and times, and, and since we are a hundred years closer to the coming of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is illuminating things, opening things up, letting us understand some things that maybe seemed like they were mysteries a hundred years ago. Uh, for instance, when a hundred years ago, no one could understand how this verse could play out. But now we can understand. Revelation 1.7 Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Now no one a hundred years ago could figure out how every eye shall see him, except by a miracle of God. But now we can understand if God chooses not to use a miracle to enable every eye to see him, that every eye could still see him with the advent of cameras, satellites, internet, cell phones. So as we see the day approaching, God will give Christians more spiritual illumination on the different aspects of prophecy than he did in the past. Now as we deal with prophecy, we still need to compare Scripture with Scripture. We still need to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We still need to keep in mind that God will not contradict himself. All of Scripture needs to agree with all of Scripture. We need to make sure our interpretation fits in correctly into the bigger mosaic of Scripture. Spiritual illumination, though, is vastly different from revelation and inspiration. Spiritual illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer as he opens the understanding and makes plain the true doctrines of God as set forth in Scripture. Jesus explained this, this spiritual illumination to his disciples in John 16, 12 to 15. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The work of the Holy Spirit in this dispensation of grace is not to impart new revelation to men or inspire men to write or speak as did the prophets and the apostles. The present work of the Holy Spirit is to bring spiritual understanding, to bring spiritual illumination to the mind of the believer, that we may accept the truth of God and impart the truth to others as we study and rightly divide the Word. It is through the Holy Spirit that the plan and purpose of God in the ages is made known to present-day believers as God declared it in the beginning. Now. Students of prophecy. Students of prophecy. The religious leaders and doctors of law in Jesus' day missed their Messiah because they were not students of prophecy. We need to be students of prophecy. These religious leaders missed Jesus as their Messiah. They failed to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ because they did not understand the words of the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. Likewise, most religious leaders today are in total ignorance concerning the coming of Christ for his church, and later with his church. When Jesus joined his disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of his resurrection, the argument he used to convince them that he was their Messiah was an appeal to prophecy, 
and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, 27. The scriptures become simple, understandable, and precious when we see Christ in them. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 The spirit and purpose of all prophecy is to testify of Jesus. And since this is true, since Jesus is the capstone of the pyramid of prophecy, too much emphasis cannot be placed on the importance of studying prophecy and being students of Bible prophecy. There's a, there's a principle I need to point out there. It's called the mountain peaks of prophecy. Through the Old Testament, we find a double witness to Jesus. That is, the Old Testament scriptures speak of his first coming and also of his second coming. Many times, the same prophet speaks of both advents, although he does not always name them in what we would consider the proper order, because the Old Testament prophet did not fully understand all that he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Rather, he wrote as God moved him to write. This was confusing to the religious leaders of Christ's day. They did not allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth, and they refused to see that there would be a first and second coming of Jesus. Furthermore, they were expecting a powerful ruler who would set up an earthly kingdom and restore Israel's glory. And since they did not understand the prophecies which declared the Messiah's sufferings as preceding his glory, they rejected him. They interpreted the prophecies of the Old Testament as referring to Messiah's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to set up an earthly kingdom. They did not see the church age. They did not see the valley between the mountain peaks. That's the principle of the mountain peaks of prophecy, uh, where uh, a Old Testament prophet can write about the first coming and second coming and not skip a beat and not even mention the 2,000 plus years of the church age lying between those two mountain peaks. So these Old Testament prophets and then, and then the uh, Pharisees in Jesus' day, they did not see the church age. They did not see the valley between these mountain peaks that is the church age. The Old Testament prophets did not see the church age, the time between the sufferings and the glory of their Messiah. But we who are on this side of Calvary have no excuse for not rightly dividing the prophecies, seeing those that were fulfilled at Christ's first coming and those yet to be fulfilled at his second coming. The Old Testament prophets saw the future as separate peaks, but only one mountain. They saw the mountain peak of his first coming. They saw his glory, but they did not see the valley of the day of grace. They did not see the valley of the church age, which lies between his first coming and his glory. The first such mountain peak is made up of the virgin birth of the Son of God, the cross of Calvary, and the glorious day of Pentecost. Then we see the valley, the dispensation of grace, and then the second mountain peak made up of the rapture of the church, the coming of the Antichrist, and the end of the great tribulation, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the time of his glorious reign from the throne of David as king of the earth. Now, don't miss the commas. That's our next thought. Don't miss the commas. The prophet Isaiah stands out as one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. But even he did not completely understand what he wrote when he penned the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Isaiah did not see the comma that separated the acceptable year of the Lord from the day of vengeance of our God. The first two verses of Isaiah 61 span centuries of time, but the prophet did not realize that this period of time would cover the entire church age, which, by the way, has already lasted 2,000 years. The prophet Jeremiah did not see the full importance of the words he penned in Jeremiah 23, 5-6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah did not see the comma between the righteous branch and the king who would reign and prosper. The righteous branch came 2,000 years ago, but up to this present time he has not occupied the throne from which he will one day reign and prosper. The Old Testament prophets saw the prophetic and kingly work of the Messiah, but they did not see the priestly ministry of Christ. They saw the altar and the throne, but they did not see the Lord's table, which was to occupy the time between the altar and the throne. Isaiah prophesied primarily concerning the Messiah and the nation of Israel, whereas Jeremiah prophesied primarily concerning Israel's return to their own land. Ezekiel also speaks of the restoration of Israel to their own land, at which time the temple will be rebuilt and the temple worship restored. Daniel, he speaks primarily of Gentile world rule and the Antichrist, the final world ruler under a Gentile power. Zechariah wrote mainly of events that will take place when Jesus comes in Revelation, when he will stand on the Mount of Olives. And we'll be studying all of these prophets in our lead-up to the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at in all their books, studying these prophets as we approach as we approach our study to the book of Revelation. It would be about six months, like I said, 25 to 30 messages, podcasts, before we get to the book of Revelation. And we'll be looking at all those prophets. Now, Zechariah in chapter 11, verse 15 to 17, he wrote this, Of the Antichrist, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd, for lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that this, that this is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. And in Zechariah 14, 1-3, we read of Armageddon. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and they spoil, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And my favorite part, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, that's when he fought in the day of battle. All the major prophets and most of the minor prophets emphasized Christ as king. And the religious leaders, when Jesus was born, were confused because of this. They were looking for a powerful king, not the humble, sacrificial lamb described in Isaiah chapter 53. 
Now, seeing the big picture of Bible prophecy, let's, we need to keep in mind the big picture of Bible prophecy. Prophecies recorded in the Bible automatically divide themselves into three groups. We have the past, prophecy that has been literally fulfilled in minute detail. Then we have the second section, which is present, prophecy that is being fulfilled all around us in this present hour, as having to do with the Jews, the nations, the morals and religious character of peoples of the world, the great falling away, the regathering of the Jews in the promised land. That's present. And then the third group is future. Prophecy clearly set forth in the scripture, but also clearly unfulfilled. Now, the importance of the study of Bible prophecy in the end times, I think, is already very apparent. In this day of darkness, we need the more sure word of prophecy to guide us, to encourage us through these perilous times in which we live. Second Peter 1, 19-21 again. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The realization that God has a definite plan and purpose in the ages gives mortal man a desire to live, to labor, looking for that blessed and glorious hope to which our faith is anchored. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, 1 John 3.3. 3. God's servants are instructed to occupy until Jesus comes, Luke 19.13. Men who are looking for that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ will be busy men, busy about the work of the Lord. They will be witnesses for him. They will be inviting others to church. They will be busy pointing people to the Lord. They will be active in their local church. They will be seeking to help get those saved that are lost. They will be giving. They will be tithing. They will be giving above the tithe for the advancement of the gospel. They will be prayer warriors, praying for souls, praying for ministry opportunities. And they will shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. 2 Timothy 2.16 And if you are in the Palm Coast, Florida area and you don't have a church, I invite you to come the New Beginning Baptist Church. We'll be glad to have you, happy to see you, and we'll welcome you into our family. Now to wrap up uh, this message, we are told to occupy till he comes. Luke 19, 13 says, occupy till I come. The word occupy here means not merely to possess an area, as we may think in our modern understanding, but it means to improve to employ in business, to be active for the purpose of increasing what the Lord has given us, to be actively seeking the making of a profit, or in other words, actively seeking to see souls saved, to see souls ministered to, to see souls grow in the Lord. The command in the context of Luke 19.13 was to, was to the use of money so as to gain more against his return. 
So Jesus commands his disciples to improve and use their talents for him, to make the most of them for his glory, to make the most of our time, to make the most of our talents, to make the most of the gifts we've been given by the Holy Spirit, to make the most of our financial gain, our financial profit, our finances, and give them to the Lord, to make the most of all that for his glory, to use and make the most of our gifts for him and his glory, to increase our capability of doing good, and to do all that and to keep doing all that until he comes to call us home by death or by rapture to meet him. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We need to be busy living. We need to be busy working. We need to be busy witnessing for him until he comes. We need to be busy occupying until he comes. Are we? Are we witnessing for him? Are we telling others about him? Are we passing out tracts? Are we putting out door hangers? Are we inviting others to church? Are we praying earnestly and diligently to see the Lord grow his church and to use our church and to bless our church? Time is of the essence. The big picture of Bible prophecy is that it is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Time is urgent. The time we have to minister and make a difference for eternity is rapidly disappearing. We need to get busy for the Lord. We need to get active for the Lord. And if we already are busy, if we already are active, we need to get busier and more active. Hebrews 10, 24-25 And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we see the day approaching. The day is approaching. The day is approaching. We need to get busy. We need to get busy occupying till he comes.